Welcome to Mokina's Front Porch, a Mokina history podcast with Matt Dalek and me, Israel Smith. The businessmen in charge of the concern couldn't have asked for a better location, it being directly across the street from the Rock Island Depot and smack dab in the middle of everything in Mokina. It was an institution of financial security, one of the stateliest buildings to ever grace our village. The old building served us faithfully for 63 years, busy as a beehive, and emerged from the Great Depression without as much as a scratch. In the matter of seconds, 45 caliber Colt pistol was shoved through the bars into Crop's face, and a brusque voice barked, hands up. Mokina was a changed place after the heinous robbery, with all strangers looked upon with suspicion. This episode, we're going to talk about the Mokina State Bank, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got State a couple Bank. articles, um, but uh, this one is the early days of the Mokina State Bank uh, that you published on Sunday, March 20th of 2022. Wow. And mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting because like a number of the businesses we talk about, you know, the you really see the bank does become like a center of town, a very important mm-hmm. place, especially in yeah. the early days of Mokina. It definitely did. Absolutely. You know, when farmers needed a place to put their money, businessmen, um, you know, we're on the railroad, we were off the railroad. So there's, yeah. you know, all those concerns as well. So it, it is interesting to see how, how, you know, this bank came about. And then, you know, we talk a little bit, you know, all the way up to today. And while we don't have the Mokina State Bank, um, you know, kind of the legacy of that that property and how it's changed over the days. Yeah, um, sure. Again, the pictures in here are some of my favorite pictures of Mokina. I mean, I love yeah. the the old Mokina Bank it was, it was such really cool. a cool building. It was. It really was. Yeah. Uh, just it's amazing to see that. You know, in the the streetscape, it was just really neat. Really need to see. Would have been awesome to see that building. I definitely in agree. Person. I wish I could have. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the early days, and then we've got another story about the um, uh, a robbery that took place at the bank. Yeah. Um, in 1924. That exactly. We'll talk about as well. So definitely. Um, anything you want to kind of preface the the story with? The Mokina State Bank, while it still existed, might very well have been Mokina's longest uh, living business because it was founded in 1909 and got absorbed into the State Bank of Illinois it was about exactly 100 years later, around 2009, 2010. Wow. So yeah, I can't think of anything else that existed business-wise for 100 years. Wow. And again, Mokina. this is a story where we, we hear you know, names of people that uh, we've been hearing about all throughout, you know, the, the, the podcast episodes. Right, yeah. Um, so, again, it's like these business owners and, and front street uh, business owners that really uh, took a part in the community and, and um, civically uh, and really to make the community better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely did. Well, great. As I said, this was posted March 20th of 2022, and it was titled The Currency of Time on the Early Days of of the Mokina State Bank. Money makes the world go round. While our streets have never been paved with gold, we've had a tidy financial institution within our village gates for well over a century that safeguards the treasures of our town folk. Weathering safe crackings, robberies, and global financial crises, it's still with us to this day. 
what merged with the State Bank of Illinois in the first decade of the 21st century, was originally the Mokina State Bank, which found its beginning in the summer of 1909. While the institution has been around for as long as any of us can remember, it is not the first bank to exist in town. 25 years before anyone even dreamt of Mokina State Bank, the Mokina Exchange Bank was on the scene. Time has not been kind, and the narrative of this institution has proven impossible to reconstruct the fog of the ages. It's hazily remembered that it was in the hands of father and son Isaias and Erwin McGovney for a time, and that future Mokina mayor and Chicago Board of Trade man Noble Jones was running it in 1882, when a failed attempt to dynamite the safe shocked the community. Sometime in those last two decades of the 19th century, it went defunct, and nearly every trace of it was swept away by the ebb and flow of time. At the dawn of 1900, Mokina found itself in something of a slump, with a mere 281 people living in the village proper at the time. Eastern Will County was still reeling after the nationwide Panic of 1893, which led many Mokina people and businesses to seek greener pastures. An increase in railroad commerce in the younger towns of Alpine, Marley, and Orland Park that normally would have come our way also didn't help matters, and neither did the lack of good roads in our neck of the woods. Starting in the autumn of 1907, Mokina underwent a rebound, first with the opening of the Bowman Dairy Company's bottling plant on today's Wolf Road, and then with the first inkling of a new bank in our neighborhood. The roots of Mokina State Bank were planted as early as October 1907, when the state auditor issued a permit to Fred Ehlers, an enterprising merchant from Grant Park in Kankakee County, to form a bank in our village. Whatever his connection was to Mokina and his reasons for going into commerce here have long since been forgotten, but it stands on the historical record that he took three of our businessmen with him in the venture. However, the state of the economy was still a bit shaky at the time, and not totally conducive to establishing a bank, as William Semler, Mokina's correspondent to the Joliet Weekly News, noted that a financial stringency was abounding in our midst. He went on to detail that, the people around here have not much faith in bank scripts and any other bank paper money that is issued, so it is declared will not accept any such money at any rate. As such, the bank project went to sleep for a while. It sprung back to life a little over a year later, when another mystery man came onto the scene. A Chicago attorney by the name of H. Gilbrath engaged himself promoting a state bank in Mokina. Over those last few weeks of 1908, the idea was looked upon quite favorably by village folk. Optimism was in the air, and in reporting on the developments for the weekly news, William Semler wrote, Our business people and prominent citizens, as well as dairy farmers, have come to the conclusion that a bank in this town would not only greatly improve business facilities, but will also benefit the town, and as we hope, prove to be a stepping stone to future worthy enterprises. Stock in this new institution was being subscribed for at such speed that just before Christmas, it was confidently declared that, for its size, the bank will be one of the strongest in the county. The local investors set their calendars for their first meeting on Saturday, January 2nd, 1909. On a day filled with meaning, they chose 55-year-old Christian Beckstein 
as the first president of the Mokina State Bank. For many years, a Laporte Road agriculturist, but lately a resident of the village, Beckstein had a seven-year term as mayor behind him when he took the president's chair. He remained captain at the bank's helm until the day he passed away in 1924. Filling the vice president's position was George Cooper, a member of a prominent local farming family, while the secretary's spot was taken by local grain merchant William H. Beckstein, President Beckstein's nephew. Rounding them out was the youngest of the group, 31-year-old Frank Lease, who became cashier, a position akin to a modern teller. A further 10 men were chosen for the new bank's board of directors. In early 1909, the new bank's building committee was working on plans for their brand new structure and had engaged an architect named John Allschlager to draw up the plans. While he was a resident of Chicago, Allschlager had grown up on a farm a few miles southwest of town, while his families had been early members of St. John's Church, proving that all roads lead back to Mokina. That March, after scouting for locations in the village, cashier Frank Lees bought a front street lot from elderly Francisca Stoll that he in turn would sell to the bank for a handsome $550 before the year was over. The businessman in charge of the concern couldn't have asked for a better location, it being directly across the street from the Rock Island Depot and smack dab in the middle of everything in Mokina. All right, so Matt, can you just give us a, a picture in today's front street mm-hmm. of where the bank sat. Sure. So the, the old bank sat, or the original bank, I should say, sat on the north side of Front Street, uh, just a tad west of the intersection with Mokina Street, where we have the big parking lot there for the uh, for the bank, for what is now Chase Bank, or not Chase Bank, um, Midland, uh, Midland States Bank, or it's my bank, and I don't even know the name of it, <laughs> uh, Midland Bank. Uh, there were a few different buildings where the parking lot is now and uh the bank was roughly uh, could say it was roughly about where the driveway is for the the drive through lanes of the bank right about there okay is where that original bank building was and built. so to the right of that we would have um the general store at the time then let's see at the, at the time i believe that would have been the uh the Colber Hardware Store. Okay. Uh, on the on the east. And then on the actually on the on the west, yes, that would have been yeah, that would have been the Sutter General Store in that old building that was just to the west there. As spring dawned, a fortuitous moment came when the bank's building committee assembled at Secretary William H. Beckstein's grain office on Mokina Street and awarded the contract to Alfred Wenberg of Joliet to begin construction on the edifice. It would measure in at 36 by 22 feet, have solid brick walls and a regal facade of Bedford stone containing stately columns and an August shield bearing the name Mokina State Bank. In May of 1909, ground was broken on the front street lot and the first building materials began arriving over the Rock Island. The outlook was good with the Mokina Phoenix advertiser boasting that Mokina will have as fine a bank as any town of its size in the country. Another important contract was let in this time, namely for the bank's steel-lined vault, its burglar-proof door, an inner safe 
and 50 deposit boxes, all of which would be of the best steel and workmanship. As the walls rose on Front Street, last-minute modifications were being made. A small addition was tacked onto the rear of the still-incomplete building to house its heating and lighting system in July, which proved to be a month of great progress. Mokina concrete mason Julius G. Oswald and his workforce were busy plastering the walls then, while the character-rich stamped steel ceiling went in at the end of the month. In the first few days of August came the steel vault, which weighed in at 10,400 pounds, not reckoning in its door, which alone came in at 4,800 pounds. All the finishing touches were being put on Mokina's newest gem, and before the doors were finally thrown open to the public, all the modern conveniences such as an adding machine, a coal-fed stove for heat, and before long, a telephone were installed. Opening day came on Saturday, August 14, 1909, and it was a very busy day indeed, as 500 souvenir fans were given away. No small feat, as the population at the time was only a touch over 350 residents. The next big rush came for the newly unveiled Lincoln pennies, as many town folk wanted them for souvenirs. All in all, the Mokina State Bank cost $5,000 to build, and by the end of September, $30,000 had been deposited there, roughly equal to over $900,000 in today's money. It was an institution of financial security, one of the stateliest buildings to ever grace our village. The old building served us faithfully for 63 years, busy as a beehive, and emerged from the Great Depression without as much as a scratch. The historic edifice was substantially remodeled and added onto in 1956, in a way that one could almost describe as brutal, as all of the grace and dignity of the original building were obliterated. In the end, the bank was unceremoniously erased from our landscape in 1972. So maybe you can describe that a little bit more. What what was, uh, how, why was it described, would you describe it as brutal? Yeah, so... It, when, whenever I look at before and after pictures, you had the original 1909 building and then how it looked after they added on to the front of it and sort of remodeled the front facade. It was just all of the, the, the just, I, I can't think of a, a better word than just classiness of that original facade was just totally obliterated. Really? When they remodeled it. I, so, like, they took the pillars and yeah. and the front uh, facade and all that was yeah, gone. Oh, the, wow. The pillars, the um, the doorway, like, everything that made that building great was gone, and it just transformed into, like, a concrete box. Oh, how sad. Oh, it was terrible, yeah. I, I just happened across a photo of the new bank, quote-unquote, um, the end result the other day, and it was just, I was looking at it, and it was just like... And was Man, it still being used as a bank? Happened. Yeah. Yeah, it was still being used as the Mokina State Bank. Hmm. Um, when they added on to it, a drive through was added on okay. and all this stuff. But, um, yeah, it was just uh, the 1950s, especially in Mokina, were not a period where historic preservation was really uh, something that was really thought of, hmm. unfortunately. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so the, it cost $5,000 to build. And how impressive. They had $30,000 by the end of September deposited. Or as you said, equal to about $900,000 in today's money. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was popular and people were happy to have it. And 
everybody wanted to, uh, I mean, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people wanted to um, use its services. Yeah, it clearly showed a need. Um, yeah. Did other banks pop up in town after this one? Not for a very long time. Um, once again, I'll say maybe somebody can correct me on this, but just as I'm thinking in my head, um, the Mokina State Bank was definitely the only bank in town from 1909 until the end of World War II. Wow. And as the town started growing in that post-war era, I want to say the next bank to come to town, let me think here. I'm pretty sure the next bank to come to town would have been the Lincoln Way Savings and Loan, which was also on Front Street, uh, which they built the building that stands just west of where Dave Bergman's uh, Dave's Auto used to be and later Tribes Brewery. I believe there's a chiropractor. Yeah, it was a chase yeah. for a while. It was right? a chase for for a good long time, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the Lincoln Way Savings alone. And they opened in the 1970s. Okay. Uh, I really think they were the next bank to come to town after the Mokina State Bank in 1909. So that was a pretty long... And, and did you, uh, as a young man in town, did you have a, a, a passbook savings account at, I, at Mokina State Bank? Absolutely, I did. When my when my parents first came to town, they set up all their stuff there. And then when I got, which you know was before before me, uh, then when I got old enough, I got my oh, how old? I must have been maybe 10, 11 years old. I opened up my uh, first account there, and it was so cool. They gave me. It's still Mokina State Bank then. They gave me the little, yeah, the little book. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever I would go in to put more money in or take money out, they would feed the book into like a typewriter kind of thing and type all the numbers into it. I thought that was so cool. I know I still have that book somewhere. Yeah, no, I, I did too. From uh, my the town in Wisconsin, you know, I yeah. probably had about $35 in there. Yeah, most, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was super cool as a kid to like, yeah. it was a big deal. They'd stamp yeah. that book or run it through the machine. Yeah, I feel bad for kids today that they don't have that experience. So. <laughs> right, well, you just look it up online or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very neat. So... Um, as with any bank or, uh, you know, especially our, in our town, it seems, uh, the business has dealt with trouble in that. So, yeah. uh, next we're going to hear the story of the 1924 robbery of the Mokina state bank. Yes. Crazy story. On dusty small town front street, the acrid smell of soot from coal fed locomotives would have greeted a visitor to Mokina in 1924. Citizens doing business passed on the street, where every face was familiar and every personality known. The old Mokina State Bank, a beacon of stoic white Bedford stone and solid red brick, stuck out among a sea of wood frame buildings. Founded in 1909 by a group of influential Mokina businessmen, this institution came to reflect a rock of financial stability in the rural farm village. It was here on Tuesday. October 27, 1924, that one of Mokina's most audacious crimes was committed. At 31 years of age on that autumn day, Carl Kropp was a lifelong resident of Mokina and the bank's assistant cashier. The son of one of the bank's founders, Kropp found himself occupied with some bookwork behind the bars of his cashier's cage. Perched atop a high stool, in his periphery, he would have been aware of two men entering the building's front door. 
In the matter of seconds, 45 caliber cold pistol was shoved through the bars into Krop's face, and a brusque voice barked, Hands up! The young cashier laughed at what he took for a mischievous joke. Not an unexpected reaction in a small town where not much of note happened. Upon seeing the rage of the armed man when his order was not complied with, and that at least one of the men had a handkerchief wrapped around his face, Krop realized the deadly seriousness of the situation. The bank was being robbed. Also present in the bank at this time were local blacksmith Albert Brown and his brother-in-law, Harry Peterson, as well as George Hecker, who not only was the bank's cashier, but also served as Mokina's mayor. Having held the small building in their firm grip, the robbers herded Brown, Peterson, and assistant cashier Krop into a rear room where the bandits forced them to face a wall with their hands in the air. The lead thief jammed his pistol into Krop's side and vulgarly threatened him as cashier Hacker was forced into the bank's vault. Karl Krop would later recall that the criminal's weapon felt like a cannon, and with his senses at their highest level of awareness, he expected a shot to ring out at any second. At the vault, bundles of currency were scooped into the second thief's burlap sack. Such was the robber's haste that a packet of bills containing $200 burst onto the floor where it was abandoned. As quickly as they carried out their brazen task, the criminals bolted from the bank and into a large touring car, where three comrades awaited them, one of which was said to be armed with a shotgun. The auto disappeared as it roared westward down Front Street. The robber's loot equaled slightly more than $4,000, consisting of paper bills as well as gold and silver. Measured by the standards of today, the value of the heist would equal approximately $50,500. In the immediate aftermath of the robbery, Mokina and the surrounding countryside became alive with law enforcement personnel. After being notified by local telephone office manager Clyde Dedmore, Will County Sheriff John Walker and deputies from Frankfurt, Joliet, New Lenox, as well as Mokina took up the chase. Initially, these men were unsuccessful in getting ahead of the robbers until the tread of the getaway auto's tires was followed in Front Street's dust over rural roads to an abandoned farm outside New Lenox. Approaching the light brown touring car with trepidation, attending deputies found the auto to be devoid of life. Inside were discovered the empty billfolds of George Hacker and Karl Krop, which had been snatched from them during the robbery as was the handgun which had been employed in the attack. The thieves' loot was nowhere to be found. Most ominously, more tire tracks along the dumped vehicle indicated that a second car escaped with the wanted men, from which all traces dissolved into oblivion. In a last attempt to nab the fugitives, two police German shepherds were used to track down the men. While promising at the outset, the presence of farmers in the surrounding fields quickly threw dogs, off the target scent. The trail seemed cold until shortly after the robbery, when Sheriff's Deputy Walter Fisher, a Front Street storekeeper, took George and Vernon Towson into custody. Newcomers to Mokina and initially claiming to be brothers, Vernon supposedly had been held at gunpoint outside the bank during the raid. During questioning, he eventually confessed that his actual surname was James. Their kinship wasn't the only part of their story to be bogus. A claim of being prohibition agents also fell apart under scrutiny. 
having made what were deemed suspicious statements about the robbery by our town newspaper. The news bulletin, James and Towson were summarily locked up at the county jail. In their absence, authorities removed suitcases from their temporary place of residence in Mokina, inside which were found not only matching ammunition for the robbery gun, but also piquant letters from local girls. The issue of James and Towson intensified when it was discovered that the pair were known to be friendly with John Frisch, a Mokina railroad worker and the village's constable. Many in town openly wondered about Frisch's involvement in the robbery as one of the suspected twosome had recently swapped pistols with him. So loud was the mistrust against Frisch that the Mokina village board was forced to investigate him until Deputy Fisher vociferously defended him, stating that James and Towson had pulled the wool over Frisch's eyes as to their intentions. As history notes, no charges were ever formally leveled against James and Towson. There was simply no conclusive evidence, no smoking gun tying them to any involvement in the robbery of the Mokina State Bank. After their release from jail a short time later, James threatened to exact revenge on Deputy Fisher and promptly disappeared along with Towson into the untraceable void of time. Mokina was a changed place after the heinous robbery, with all strangers looked upon with suspicion. An unknown face would be asked to explain his business in town, and if a satisfactory answer wasn't becoming, would be hustled out of the village. The bank was quickly stocked with firearms, and the building itself was fortified. Within a year of the robbery, the cashier's cage was completely surrounded with bulletproof glass, while all woodwork in the bank was backed with steel, not to mention the windows that got bullet-resistant screens. The doors to the cashier's space and the president's office also got a treatment of steel, as well as an apparatus that allowed them to be opened only from the inside by means of an electric button. The directors of the bank weren't about to take any chances on the supposedly bulletproof glass and invited Deputy Fisher to give it a test. On the afternoon of Tuesday, November 24, 1925, the deputy fired three rounds from his 38 caliber revolver into the glass. Not a single one made it through. The news bulletin was there and noted that the only effect on the glass was a whitening of the surface, same as seen on a piece of ice when it is struck. Mokina may never know who was behind the robbery of October 27, 1924. Loose ends existed that were never followed up on, and ringers for the crime were released without charge. What is sure is that the crime resonated so deeply in the collective psyche of this sleepy railroad village of decades past that it is still remembered with dread to this day. This robbery really changed i mean the bank and how it interacted with the community yeah it as did. well as the whole community it seems yeah yeah it definitely did uh people were uh very much on sort of like needles and pins uh after it happened and uh it was a you know it was a small town where where just about everybody knew everybody else and whatnot um lots of families you know related to each other stuff like this but uh after the robbery uh it was a time when strangers uh were were looked upon with suspicion uh as the the robbery was pulled off by by out-of-towners and strangers uh that weren't known and Um, then the suspicion of of frisch deputy frisch uh was there 
I guess there was no real resolution to that. I mean, it was he was cleared, and yeah. well, Deputy Fisher kind of stepped in and stood, uh, spoke up for him. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but that's a lot of. I mean, he changed weapons with this uh, one of these guys, and yeah, I mean, yeah. There does <laughs> seem like a lot of uh, coincidence there. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely. Um, I think, and you know, granted, I wasn't there, but um, I think. Uh, they, these two guys, James and Towson, you know, they, whether or not they were involved in the robbery, we may never know. They definitely were very suspicious characters though. But when they rolled into town, I think they kind of identified a uh, deputy Frisch as being the town constable and, and tried to sort of make friends with them and, and try to maybe manipulate him. And, uh, from what it sounds like, he just kind of, as deputy Fisher said, the, he kind of unwillingly allowed himself to have the wool pulled over his eyes. Mm. Kind um, of a little too nice for his own good, maybe. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it, it wound up coming back to get him. So Yeah, wow. So $50,000 in today's money. Yeah. Or it was about 4000 that was stolen. That's a that's yeah. a big amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, I mean, they got, they got paper money and uh, gold and silver, too. And uh, this was also in, in the days when um, FDIC didn't exist to uh, hmm. to back up the funds of the bank. So I would imagine that local people lost their money when this happened. Well, and that's what I was – because is there a central I, – I don't know if you know, but I mean – we just heard about all this money that was injected in uh, to this new bank. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, years yeah. ago, but um, you'd think they're holding a large portion of the money that's deposited by oh, sure, yeah. by the community. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, that's what would have been. Yeah, and how that's made up and how that's uh, covered or the losses are are taken care of. It's yeah. interesting to think about. It is, yeah. I mean, it definitely was a big event. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the first time that some heinous crime had happened in Mokina, but it was, it had been a long time since anything along those lines had occurred in town. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it really shook things up. I mean, it was, it was covered. The, the robbery was covered by papers in Chicago hmm. even. So, wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, really thing. interesting story. Um, you know, and, and all together, I mean, when you think about the bank and as we said, like this cool small town yeah um you know country kind of town bank um and you know i know you have we have another story that we might cover in another episode of Mm -hmm. another attempt on the bank yeah Um, yeah you know but uh yeah really interesting so it is yeah and again our uh, deputy walter fisher is is talked about who he was there you know we you wrote the book on and that's right uh, and played a part here too bad that beautiful bank yeah. isn't still sitting on Front Street. I know. I'm so jealous of Frankfurt. Their their old bank is still there, but we lost ours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, great, Matt. This is another great story. Thank uh, you. I think so, Thanks too. for sharing these. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're enjoying our show, it would really help us out a lot if you would leave us a rating and a review, as well as share our show with your friends and your family. There's a link in the show notes to Matt's blog article that this episode was based on, so be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Mokina's Front Porch. Mm-hmm.